So welcome everyone to Human Behaviour Club. I'm Kotha Hajat. I'm a public health doctor and I run a room on lifestyle and behaviour change every Thursday at 7pm. Today we're talking about how health tech companies can make your data secure. So this last year we've seen an exponential growth in health technology and prevention has really moved to the direct consumer model um, with wearables and, uh, and apps and other health tech um, innovation. So today we really want to explore um, what the implications are for data security and so I'm really delighted to have two friends and colleagues um, who are experts in this field. So I'll get Sid and Christian to introduce themselves. Um, are, we, are we start, Christian? It's okay with you? Absolutely, please go ahead. Uh, so hi everyone, I'm Sid Buzian. Um, had the chance to uh, to work in the healthcare for the last uh, for the past fifteen years or so. I had the chance to work for healthcare authorities and um, startups, uh, insurance, medical insurance, and um, and of course medical providers. Uh, my main focus was to streamline or to leverage the technology in order to uh, provide uh, provide new tools. Um, a new way of uh, doing things, innovation, um, especially around the uh, quality of care, as well as um, as uh, revenues. How to uh, how to uh, increase revenues and how to maximize the operations using technology. That's me. Yeah, great. Thanks. Um, yeah, I can probably summarize my um, involvement in career as being an entrepreneur. I started a company in the uh, healthcare space and AI space. Uh, so that's really my background. Uh, many years back, I started with a PhD in AI and, psych and psychology. Uh, and then I worked for uh, large companies, uh, focusing mostly on uh, healthcare, medicine, pharmaceutical um, um, areas and applying um, technology, particularly data-driven technology to the space. And um, yeah, that's at the moment I am uh, the global head of AI at one of the Europe's largest IT companies. And here to every, uh, I'm the executive director of the Nordic AI Institute, uh, which is a global organization that looks at AI and its application in um, several different industries, with healthcare being one of the main sectors. And I'm at the Karolinska Institute, uh, which is a medical university uh, in Sweden. So I'm calling in from Sweden and looking forward to this discussion. Uh, very impressive bios, both of you. Um, so um, let's answer this question. How can health tech companies make your data secure? So maybe um, we start with Sid for more kind of general um, information. And then Christian, maybe move to you for more of a kind of AI slant. So, so Sid, I think you've done quite a lot of work on um, data security. Yeah, so I worked on data security and, and I, I worked in healthcare, so I, I guess I have a small experience to bring here. Um, it, it's funny because healthcare has been always um, at the center of a lot of passion, passion. I mean, we are talking about human beings, we're not talking about products. Um, and so, um, while I was working for health 
healthcare authorities and, and medical providers, we were always trying to um, to think about healthcare data like the banking data. Uh, we, we tried to actually compare what what has been done for pro to protect actually banking data of people compared to what is what has been done to to protect healthcare data. And we realized that there is not so much things done in healthcare to actually really protect the data of the patient. And so um, there is a need, and, and I think maybe it's, it's historically the healthcare has not, very, has not been very good at, um, at uh, investing um, in, in technology, um, especially around the data security. Um, the um, electronic medical records market is, is saturated. There, is, there are plenty of players uh, internationally that can provide multiple solutions uh, with regards to, um, uh, you know, uh, providing a good medical record system that can be plugged with a laboratory system and can be plugged with wearable devices. Um, but in, in uh, until recently, the the uh, Security of the data was not uh, was not uh, the ultimate uh, goal uh, in healthcare, and uh, we realized that very recently when uh, after the COVID there was a stream of uh, attacks uh, targeting hospitals and and, um, and uh, health authorities. Uh, we saw many um, COVID apps uh, with um, you know. Uh, Hosting a lot of uh, sensitive data uh, has been hacked, or have been um, having a lot of flaws in terms of security, and so um, it's not easy to actually um, start implementing security if you haven't uh, been doing it from the start, and that's why there is this concept of uh, security by design or zero trust, which basically uh, is all about uh, putting the security at the center of the design of any application. And so um, since historically healthcare uh, has not been doing uh, that actually, uh, it's quite difficult to, um, to come up to a, to a legacy and, and, and add layers and layers of security. It's, it's not working. You can't just uh, try to, um, you know, to invest millions on uh, security uh, tools and praying that it will just uh, be enough to, to secure your, your data. It's, it's not working. We've seen that for many, many uh, companies. So the security of the data is all about, um, you know, uh, putting the emphasis of, on people and on the, on the, on the, on the design of the uh, of the system or the apps, and it's interesting to see startups actually who have been uh, launching a lot of uh, and myself including I got to, uh, have been launching startups and mobile apps and, and uh, medical record system. Um, it's funny to see that still security is not the ultimate uh, goal because startups need to. Um, I mean. Most often, they receive a lot of uh, money to actually uh, get something out, 
and, and try to be uh, the first in the market or the better of the market. And usually security is not the first uh, issue that they want to tackle. Uh, they are mainly focusing on functionalities and making it working, being the first one uh, to, to launch this product. And then after, maybe they will start looking at security, where it should be the opposite. They should actually start thinking, how can we protect the data? And then, and then adding the functionality on, on the core of this uh, design, secure design. And then after, there is all the question of transparency. Um, the more a system is transparent for the users and for uh, the authorities or the legislators, uh, the better it is, of course. Uh, black box are never good, especially in terms of, uh, of trust. And so um, there is a need for transparency in most of the system um, implementing uh, patient data. Um, there is a need to understand how the data is being stored, how it will be used, who is going to have access to it, um, how long it's going to be uh, to be used, uh, what for? Is it going to be sold to uh, another parties? Um, do you have any um, uh, partner who is helping you with this, uh, with processing the data? Who are they? Um, so on and so forth. So transparency is key there. After, of course, designing a, a solid uh, foundation uh, on security, transparency, and uh, and giving the options for the for the users to to have more control over the data that is being stored, uh, giving him the uh, options to um, to disappear from from the system, to to make sure that the data will be uh, deleted if uh, if he wants to. Um, and and lastly, I would say that uh, it's counterintuitive, but actually, the more people have access to to the code uh, of of a system, more confidence will be um, will be built. Um, and of course, it's not about giving the source code of an app to uh, to the competition, but actually, uh, you know, uh, making it available for some uh, trusted uh, legislators who can actually uh, give a, give a stamp that the the code uh, has been has been well uh, well done and it's um, it's. Uh, not only it's secure, but actually it's um, it's, uh, it's it's following best practice with regards to security, data exchange, and so on and so forth. Great, that's a lot to think about there, Sid. So um, um, I have a few questions, but I'll, I'll come to Christian first. And uh, Christian, what's your take on? Um, <laughs> I'm sure you have your own views. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, there's so much to say about this topic. <clears throat> I mean, just to frame it um, and lay out a bit the perspective from 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 my end. Um, of course, with everything becoming more uh, digi digitalized and having more data in many systems, um, the the threat uh, in terms of, for example, cyber attacks and how the data is is used in many different systems is increasing uh, increasing by the day and. Perhaps some of you have been aware of a recent attack that um, the which was using a which was a ransomware attack where Kizaya was um, involved in the U.S. but essentially was 
used as a basic system, paying system for many companies. And um, uh, it's essentially left, I'm living here in Sweden, for example, all the supermarkets pretty much, they were closed. A very big chain was closed for many uh, many, many weeks. And um, this is just one example. And of course, the same type of ransomware attacks are, for example, applicable in the healthcare system or energy system. So very vital systems to society. So from that perspective, it's, of course, an ever increasing, let's say, uh, threat. And as Sid pointed out, um, uh, it is uh, an increased awareness uh, in the healthcare system. Cure. And in in my uh, main company where I'm at here to every with we are 24,000 people and we have about 10,000 customers um, of which a very large number of them are in the public sector and the healthcare sector. So um, there is an increased demand uh, on two different levels, like to upgrade the system, to make it more digital, to also start using, for example, AI data-driven services. <clears throat> this upgrading um, also requires then, of course, to focus on how to keep these systems uh, secure. Um, and then, for example, also making sure that um, this security is kept under the control of the country in question. Uh, so what I mean by that is there's often a lot of providers from the from outside Europe that offer, for example, data platforms and uh, ways of storing this data. But we, of course, need to make sure that we stay uh, autonomous in, in that regard. And um, yeah, from that perspective, I'm seeing that we have an um, increased demand by, <clears throat> by our customers in the healthcare sector across the Nordics and in Europe. And um, uh, just an ins maybe a little insider or internal reflection i mean it was me as being the global head of ai and data driven services and the global head of security at Tieto every that uh, were recently having a discussion and realizing very much that these these two topics are at the core of of our company when it comes to delivering uh, effective safe and safe systems uh, particularly to the healthcare sector so um, it is very important and um Maybe one extra reflection also just uh, once again reminded me that there are still so many systems in the healthcare sector which are very outdated. Uh, in Germany, for example, you send still uh, facts uh, to, from one doctor to another for referral, as an example. And this is, of course, <laughs> probably sitting in Gotha, you both can probably agree here, this is probably the most unsecure way of transferring data in in, um, in today's world uh, because it's absolutely not encrypted in any way so it's still a mystery to me why such systems can exist at all today because they have uh, no security at all and of course uh, the ones that today have let's say the most competency to secure to upgrade and secure these types of healthcare systems uh, are health uh, tech uh, companies and tech companies in in uh, in, um, because they have that, of course, as a basic um, talent competency, let's say. So <clears throat> there's a lot to talk about, I think. And um, yeah, that's maybe my my starting introduction on the topic. 
Thanks both. Yes, it's, it's obviously a very broad area. I have a few questions and we will, people raising their hands, we will come to you for your questions as well. Bear with us in about 15 minutes. Um, so you both uh, touched on standards of um, data um, privacy, um, but of course these um, new kind of health tech companies and innovations, they cross borders and, and scan many countries. So in the US, we have the HIPAA regulations. In the UK, we have Caldecott and others. And so, and the EU has its own. So how do we deal with um, regulations and data privacy laws that, that span many, many countries and continents? Well, I, I guess uh, talking from Europe, we have the GDPR, and um, the way we work with it is that we just need to have a very uh, good understanding of what are those regulations and, and um, stick stick with them. Um, as, a, as a you know, as a user of an app or a system that collects data, you need to be aware of um, of those. Um, Small, uh, small, uh, you know, small lines where basically they tell you what they are going to do with the data. And um, from my perspective, the regulation is here to protect you, to protect your data. At least the GDPR has been created for this reason. Um, they are making sure that people are not collecting the data too long, or they are not. Uh, they, are, they are doing what they are supposed to do with it. Of course, they can't regulate everyone and. For instance, from time to time, they try to make an example, but I think it's uh, it's it's critical for the, the the citizen as well as the um, the designer of apps or system or, or provider to uh, to really understand the regulation, the limits, what are, what needs to be done, and and to stick with it. Um, I think they are good and and they exist for for a reason. Um, and actually, in, in, in Europe, in France, in particular, um, there is a, there is a, an organization called called uh, LACNIL, who is responsible to actually enforce the uh, the regulation. And um, they have been created because of uh, of a case where the government has been collecting data from citizens. And for, uh, for 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 no for no um, without consent and and uh, for no good reason actually and this has been a scandal in France in the in the 70s and then after that they have created this organization so um, uh, I think regulations are good uh, we need we need to uh, we need to know them uh, even if we are not uh, into tech. Um, because uh, because they they are very important, I guess. Yeah, I'm I'm thinking mm, I'm starting to be more reflective over the idea of having regulation. And Kosa actually started saying that they are standards, and they are, and then Situ went into regulation. For me, they're actually um, two different things. And that when you have uh, regulation, and there's, by the way, also this big AI regulation coming up soon, but in principle, regulations have just so much power, really, right? In the in the first instance, they are laying out what should, should be done or what shouldn't be done, more or less. But uh, for very, very complex areas, <clears throat> they often lag behind. 
they're often very unspecific, particularly when the uh, area in which they are applied and becomes much more abstract and, and complex, uh, such as essentially any computing environment. So, so in that sense, it's actually increasingly difficult. And I, um, I'm actually invited to a couple of um, couple of panels now. Uh, here in, there's a Nordic Legal Tech Day, and then I will also go to Munich discussing exactly that topic. And I'm starting to think that when you are having standards which would be demanded, uh, let's say, by certain hospitals or healthcare system to be supplied, maybe standards or certain other um, more, yeah, more specific uh, application of secure computing systems could be a more effective way of making healthcare systems secure. Um, <clears throat> standards like from the ISO or, uh, as you mentioned, from uh, HIPAA, for example, if they are specific enough to be also implementable, then they are useful. Um, uh, but often that's actually very hard to achieve. They become very quickly extremely complex and um, yeah, very, very hard to implement. Uh, so yeah, that, that's, that's one take, um, I would say, to consider here. Uh, I'm reflecting a bit when you look back as to how regulation got introduced to society a couple of decades back. The topics were very complex back then, uh, but they were still, you still had a chance to sort of frame uh, law around it. Um, I feel that with this era of data and, and uh, computing, we need to start adopting new, more agile methods of, um, how to say, use them in an effective way and still make sure that, for example, data is protected and that applications are used in a, in a proper way. Uh, so um, that that's certainly certainly one one topic that's on my mind. Yes, thanks both. I uh, completely agree, especially that last point, Christian, the regulations that are um, that you and I both discussed, um, they actually are the kind of bare minimum uh, that should be applied and they don't really go deep into things like the utility of data. Sid, you gave a, a fantastic example of where data were being collected but not for any particular purpose and not being used and I'm not sure that any of the regulations would actually um, have kind of prohibited that type of behaviour. Consent is another area that is really, it's not, the details of consent are not highlighted um, and so allows a lot of kind of very uh, less than ideal behavior in terms of um, particularly around inherent consent. And um, uh, I think a lot of people sign up to using apps and technology and don't really read the small print and are actually um, consenting to their data being used in particular ways which they would not be aware of. So I do think some more um, detail is required, another level of detail is required for, uh, I don't know if you call that standards or, or a guideline or, or you know best practice for how health tech data should be used. So also along those lines, um, one thing that always strikes me as bizarre is that the end user, say, of a, a wearable would only receive a few um, elements or components of the data. They do not have access to their own raw data. They only receive a few snippets 
um, of the process data. So is this sustainable? Do you think it will continue like this? Or is there a demand for the end user to own their own data? Um, that's a good question. I, I, I think with the new generation who has been, you know, uh, living with this era of, of, of mobile apps and, and uh, new technology, um, I think there will be a, a, a demand actually from, from them to, um, to have better control over their data. And, um, that, you know, it's a, it's a bit of a challenge actually for the data providers. I mean, like, let's say an hospital who wants to give access to your medical records through a, a system to a, to a patient. Um, the providers needs to make sure that uh, it's it's the it's the right patient first. It's the patient uh, and not not his family. It's not his wife. It's not uh, someone else. Um, so of course the technology can allow that, but um, it's on the responsibility of the providers to to ensure that the data uh, share uh, with the patient, so then he can own it and he can. Um, you know, uh, basically uh, make decision based on this, share it with someone else. Um, it's it's on the provider side, like actually, and you need to make sure. And the regulation will will enforce the fact that the provider is responsible for the for the data and and responsible to actually um, hand over properly the data to the patient, so the patient can own it. Um, so yes, I, I think there would be a, a I mean, there is, a, there is a shift in healthcare where basically we are seeing more and more educated patients. Um, they are using Google. Um, they are using um, a ton of uh, software uh, to actually uh, look for their uh, condition. And more often when they come to see the doctors, they already have a good idea of what, what they have, what, the, what is the treatment, and, uh, and uh, what the doctor should actually give them. So um, it's, it's, of course, very uh, frustrating for the doctors because after all, after all he has been you know, studying for 10 years, um, that's someone who comes uh, with, with uh, challenging him on, 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 uh, on uh, on his on his field, so um, th there is this need of of healthcare where basically the patient needs to own the data and needs to be a master of the decision medical decision about his condition, and he needs to be educated. Uh, certainly, I mean not by Google, but uh, he needs to be educated by the doctor. So there is a shift. Uh, of the doctor role, actually, not to be the one uh, saying you should do that, but uh, saying this is your data, this is what we understand, and those are the options uh, available for you. So there is no one, 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 one path. There are multiple paths. There is one path maybe going to the through the treatment, and there is another path maybe doing nothing. You know that that's an option as well. But I think there is uh, there will be a demand, or there is already a, a demand from the patient to own the data and to be um, more more in control controlling the data 
and uh, and uh, you know the the way forward with regards to the treatment. Thanks, Sid. Yeah, nobody um, welcomes Doctor Google, uh, but uh, you know we are as a medical profession we are encouraging increasing accountability um, by patients for their own health, but not really facilitating them by giving them the the full picture in terms of their data. So it's a difficult one. Christian? Yeah, just uh, um, quickly reflecting uh, in terms of data access. Uh, I'm, on one hand, I was reflecting, I think we all have this experience uh, using wearables, using, uh, you know, doing microbiome. So I've, I've done myself a couple of those things. So I'm using an, a, a ring that could, uh, collects a lot of data. I can completely download all that data and the company which is a Finnish one allows uh, complete access and you know having platforms and everything and opening APIs so I could potentially program my own sort of application and I did the same thing with my DNA sequencing which I think took uh, a very large I mean I, I've downloaded the file it's a couple of gigabytes long and so on so from I think the new healthcare companies right they allow you to access that data uh, then, of course, there's this aspect, okay, well, once you downloaded all that data, let's say, I mean, it doesn't connect automatically to the other data bits and pieces that I have, and it also doesn't, it's not explained, right? It's uh, it's just a data bundle. Often the raw data is, is actually not that useful, right, unless you have built up a system yourself. Uh, and then I'm thinking uh, the public system, right, exactly as Sid was starting to outline here, you know, they are... They are obliged to do a lot of things. They have a long way to go to make it all more upgraded, more digital, <clears throat> to rely on the system more uh, so that it works. There's a whole bunch of business rules that need to be applied in order not to give out the wrong data at the wrong time. Uh, in, in, I'm not sure how far other com countries have come in in, uh, in the world, but here in the Nordic countries, what, um, what I was what I have been able to do for the last couple of years is to access my entire journal data. Uh, so I can see the doctor's notes, all my blood results, um, tests that were done. So it's completely on an app and I can see all those things. Um, but there are also lots of limitations in the sense that um, certain countries, Sweden is one of those, they are set up in counties and regions and you can actually not always access the data in other regions and the reason for those for that is that the other region has a totally different IT and data system for example so this compatibility is a huge huge issue across Europe going back a little bit to the point you made earlier Gotha, about you know how how do you deal with global um, standards uh, you know and, and certainly from a data perspective we have absolutely not standardized it yet uh, and um, the EU uh, the new AI regulation will come in, and with it, there will also be a new data regulation coming in. So there's actually a um, uh, there's a demand and a frame that suggests that there should be data sharing happening in Europe. So that, for example, data collected, let's say in Sweden, can be used in Italy or Portugal uh, or elsewhere in the world, where uh, you know you can start building up bigger systems to diagnose or to say cancer or to see certain patterns in society so so this is where you know where the big ambition lies and then i see on a practical level often that uh, even with the best of intentions you can't really to say 
data is mobile, you can't access it from one region to another. The technical and data feasibility isn't there yet. So, um, yeah. Thanks, that's really interesting. I guess I must update my apps because uh, I think <laughs> none of mine give me a full data upload. Mm. <laughs> so it is worth, it's actually a good point there. You know, um, I do look at, I, I'm probably a bit biased in that I'm looking at the companies that where I can do that, you know. So um, so I do try to choose a company when it says, oh, you can download and access the data, I want to have a demo. But you, yeah. And they, they should be obliged due to GDPR and so anyways, at least if it is a European company. Huh? Yeah, I'll get the details of you later, I think, Christian, <laughs> for those companies. Um, no so what you mentioned AI and a new um, regulation come, or standard coming out for AI soon. Are there any particular concerns um, related to AI when we talk about um, data from health tech? I mean, there were um, a year or two ago, there were the first proposal had an AI regulation that was proposed and a data regulation because the um, EU wanted to lay out and allow an open data space across Europe, right? So they wanted to encourage every country, every company and every institute to be more proactive in the way they are sh sharing this data because at, what many companies and institutions, so companies are told data is gold, so they don't want to give out any of this data, healthcare companies and many other companies, and public entities um, are following very strictly uh, not only GDPR, but many other rules and regulations. So, so they are very, very hyper cautious uh, when it comes to utilizing data. Uh, when it comes to AI, <laughs> This is probably going to be one of the biggest uh, regulations and changes that will steer and govern Europe's um, tech scene in the next 10 to 20 years. <clears throat> it influences it in many ways. So today's AI is a lot based on the data um, that is collected. You build often so-called models. So they take billions of data sets to understand patterns and recognize, for example, patterns in MRIs or X-rays or, or any other patterns. And um, then they make a prediction or they make an analysis as to how likely it is that a particular condition, uh, medical condition, happening in the next one or two years. So the issue here is, for example, when you have the right to remove such models, <clears throat> it's actually becoming extremely, um, it's quite challenging to make it uh, to make that happen because the models need to be retrained and re so maybe this becomes a little bit too technical here but when you when you retrain such a predictive model it is very lengthy and very costly as an example uh, and it's this is just one example of many examples as to how it can be quite cumbersome and maybe even um, it could be a bit um, difficult for companies to embrace this idea because uh, it would potentially be very costly to um, enable this, this this right of removing your data, for example, having control over this data uh, because you need to build new, new models and that can be quite challenging. Um, so this is just one of many, many examples um, to be cautious and thoughtful about, you know, how data interacts with 
AI. And I, I guess also worth mentioning that um, AI is not this abstract, uh, abstract sort of new technology that you cannot understand. It's a large proportion of AI systems today are data-driven systems. So they do use data that is has been collected over a long period of time, or it has been it's collected right in this moment, such as this ring that I mentioned earlier. They actually, when COVID broke out last year, um, this company was working with Stanford in order to start looking at whether or not they could predict um, uh, the onset of COVID uh, by just looking at the um, data they collect from from the body uh, from the body's uh, biomedical sort of data points, you know, temperature and movements and so on. It turns out they were quite accurate in doing it. Um, but yeah, it's going to be quite um, interesting how these data-driven AI systems going are going to be interacting with data if it is such a dynamic environment in which uh, individuals can, you know, um, control the data sources, let's say. Thanks, that's very interesting. Um, audience, raise, please do raise your hands now. I think a couple more questions and then we'll move to the audience. Um, so um, obviously we can't avoid talking about COVID. And um, uh, Christian, you mentioned that um, this company with a ring um, was able to predict uh, COVID. Now, this is a very important space um, for companies to grow into the future, WHOOP. Um, the wearable whoop um, also um, uh, is looking into predicting uh, COVID through looking at respiratory rate and heart rate variability. And actually, I've just downloaded a um, an app uh, called Detect, and it's a, a study um, uh, that's actually device agnostic uh, to see how devices can predict COVID. And so I think it's quite, uh, for me, it's quite interesting. I'm taking part in that. Um, so if anyone's interested, you can download the app and connect your device and um, uh, help them to detect COVID uh, using apps. But we've seen a lot of uh, activity with health tech regards COVID and um, particularly where COVID trackers are involved. I know, Sid, you've been involved in actually developing um, a COVID tracking app. So maybe I'll ask this question to you. Um, what are the data security and privacy considerations where we're looking at GPS data? So um, I think you touched on some apps, uh, sorry, some uh, of these COVID trackers, such as in the UK, which did not go ahead because of data security concerns. So how how can we, you know, what's the future for those? Either of you. I just, just, just a very quick one before. So to, did you mention just to uh, be fair to the audience? You mentioned that there might be some questions that that they can ask. I see Aslak and others. Do you like to do that after Sid or? Um, yeah, maybe we just cover this question and then people yeah. are raising their hands, so we'll we'll start bringing them up. Um, yeah, so I effectively have been working on a, on a COVID uh, tracing app uh, called Immune Live. It was an interesting experience because uh, it has been done very early on in uh, June 2020. And um, yeah, that was very interesting experience to be honest. Um, and uh, we, were, we were thinking on how to help 
during this time of crisis, but actually it was more like the, the goal was how can we help uh, resume uh, our social social life and, and economy. It was more like giving uh, giving some help on, on with this regard. Um, so. Um, so the tracing it was not was not the main focus. What we, we tried to do actually was more like how can we and, and we were kind of um, kind of I mean the, one of the the, the first to, to do that. But we were, we tried actually to um, to give a way to for people who had the um, the uh, COVID to be able to resume their life because at that time we thought that actually if someone has the COVID then it will be kind of immune against the COVID. That was that was our thinking back in June 2020. And so we uh, decided to um, associate the uh, the fast uh, test that you can you can you can do. It's a five minute test. Take a drop of your blood and then it can tell can tell you whether you have um, uh, antibodies uh, against the COVID. And then up, off you go if you have this, and the app is, it will, will be able to actually prove that, prove that you have been um, uh, tested uh, with positive with the uh, antibodies uh, against the COVID, and then you can resume your life. It's kind of um, the, what we are seeing now with the past, sanitary pass in France and, and other countries where basically you have to prove that you are vaccinated or that you have been tested uh, negative. Um, so during, during this project, we learn a lot and, and we saw a lot of, um, of, uh, of, of, of bad stories about apps. Um, Amnesty International has been um, launching a, a large investigation of many, many countries on on their apps for the for the tracing, and they discover a lot of, uh, I mean, very bad practice with regards to data confidentiality uh, for those um, tracing tracing apps. The problem is is really when you have a country when you don't have a choice, you have to download the app, otherwise you go to prison. Or you will get like a big amount, a big fines, um, and so this is a risk because it means that all the country or the majority of the country will have to be in the database of this uh, this app, and if something happens to this database, then it's a massive fail uh, uh, with regards to data breach. Um, when when the app is is on a voluntary basis, then you can tell that. The risk is not is not so high. It's not like a major risk. It's not a national um, database of citizens that has been breached. Um, so, um, and there is a difference between centralized and decentralized data. Decentralized data means that the data stays in your phone, and uh, and the app is just processing the data that has been collected locally on your phone, so it doesn't go out. Uh, centralized means that the data, the, the, the app actually is sending your data to a, a central database, or mostly owned by the government or by a company that has been uh, uh, chosen by the uh, by the government. And this is where there is a major risk because if the central database um, 
it's not well managed, not well designed, uh, not secure enough, then it's a, it's a major uh, risk. Um, and the other the other aspect is of course the GPS tracking. It's um, some of some of the apps are actually collecting the data on a live live basis, meaning that uh, someone knows exactly at any point of time where you are, um, because the um, the app is actually sending uh, like every ten or five minutes your your GPS location to a central database. Yeah, so that's the part that I I find um, I can see uh, being abused for developing. All three of us have worked on social network maps and you can imagine how that type of data will be very valuable and could be misused for non-COVID related um, information. Um, So, yeah, that's I think I guess that's still being considered and work through. Okay, we'll we'll stop there in terms of the panel, move on to questions. Thanks, Sid and Christian. That's been really helpful.